0: So that being said, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5. That's where we're going to get to as we're in the encouragement series. So, I'm going to give you a little leeway and run time to open your Bibles and to find that get your markers in your notes and we've got notes in the back. You've got notes on those little blue sheets to find there. We're in our encouragement series. So, the whole goal is to give you courage through encouragement. Um, this is Peter kicking you in the spiritual pants to go, "Let's do this for Jesus. Let's get out there and live and love and serve no matter how hard this world comes at us." Let's Let's just love and push back no matter what it costs for Jesus Christ. So we've been working our way through kind of verse by verse by verse through First Peter. Um, and as we get into this message, um, we just want to know that you are, are meant to be encouraged to live this out everywhere that you go. Every place that you are, everywhere that you find yourself, that you would live the truth of this word. So let's pray before we go any further and ask the Lord's blessing. God, uh, we pray that you would just help us to discern what is going on in the scripture and what you mean by it. What does it mean for us in our hearts and our souls, for us personally, but also corporately as a body of believers, as a family of God, as, as those who are, are yet to be brought into and adopted into the family of God, what does it mean for them as well? We thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for inspiring Peter through the Holy Spirit to get these words down. Um, thank you that it's just, it's living and it's breathing and it's transforming. We love it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So when, when we talk about why we do things, right? So why we do what we do always matters. The mature person, just not even the mature Christian, but the mature person is always going to ask the why behind. Why you do what you do Always matters. Why was this book written? Why was this song written? Why does this movie exist? Why do we say these things? Why was I taught this? Uh, Why you do always matter. And the mature Christian always looks. The mature person always looks that next level. Why is this in front of me? Why is someone telling me this? The reason behind something is just as important as the actions in front of us. And in some cases I would say even more so. To find out why this takes place. And when we talk about Christians. Those who know the way. Show the way of Jesus Christ. So you've always got to be asking the why behind something. Not just that here's what it is. And I can see it empirically. Or, or I just know it. But, but why. Why we do the things that we do. Why we move in that direction. So but let, let's look at one of the reasons why we live. Uh, the one thing. We are called and not just us Christians especially, but everyone on the planet, but certainly Christians, we are called to love the way God loves us. Not the way that you think or I think we should love others, but the way that the Bible says we should love others. So we look at the scriptures, we look at our life, that's what we're called to. We are invited, we are implored, we are challenged to, to love others uh, and ourselves the way that God does. And the way is Jesus's way. The way in which he modeled in the Old and in the New Testament. So biblically speaking, we're to love like Christ and live like Jesus. We, we have this tension of, of discipline and delight in the Lord, right? Most people when they're disciplined, they're not like, man, this is so great being grounded. woohoo! Yeah, this is so great getting pruned to become more like Jesus. Like, ow, that hurts. Cut that off. Cut that out. Dying to self. The, the, the mortification of sin is hard, painful. And we don't always like that. But there is a delight that comes in that. There, there's also that tension of, of, of faithfulness and friendliness. Right? Where, we're, where we, want, we want to be faithful, but we, all, we, all, we want to be friends. And, and we see in, in John chapter 15 where, where John's like, look, I know, I know or Jesus like, I no longer only call you servant, but what? I also call you Friend. Which that's really cool. As a Christian, who am I with? Man, I'm with Jesus. the one whose will keeps the oceans from overwhelming the land. The one whose words brought about the existence of the cosmos. Who are you with? Man, I'm with Jesus. I'm with him. So the one thing we're we're called to love the way that, that God loves us is incredibly important. Let me put this into context a little bit based on this scripture. Uh, a mature Christian cares for others so that they'll draw closer to God and become more like Jesus. That's, that's the point of, of all your relationships. It's the point of all of your jobs. It's the point of all your retirements, your singleness, your datingness, your engagedness, your marriedness, your blended familyness. You, you exist as a Christian to mature yourself, but to draw people closer to God so that they become more like Jesus. Now, how's the only way you know someone's become something? Well, they actually live it out. How do you know people are fans at sporting events? Well, they've shaved the emblem in their chest hair and painted their face a color. There's no question who they're rooting for. Dude's all in, man. When you do something like that, you know. So, how are you going to know that someone loves Jesus Christ and that they want to draw into becoming like Jesus? But you're just going to have those actions, but you're also going to have the why. It's not just rote ritual. It's a devoted relationship and it makes all the difference. So, so, so God's out there and he's just like, look, let's draw people to God. let's so become more like Jesus and you can do that in all kinds of ways. Just like we saw on Wednesday. You can use bounce houses and face painting to draw people closer to Jesus Christ. You can use cotton candy machines and snow cones and all kinds of stuff to draw people in so that they can have a closeness. Do that is. Because what what is usually the number one question that's asked at those family nights? Um, Who are you and why are you here? What an Awesome opportunity to share that with Jesus. So, so in this context, we see that. Now, Now, how do you mature as a Christian? Just a few things. You, we study our Bible, we pray to God, and we serve as God leads. So when he tells us to go, we go. When we, we pray and understand, because if you have to love the way God loves, then you need to know what that is. And it's not always cotton candy and snow cones. Sometimes it's just, it's the hard things of life that we must do, we must go into. So let's look at the scripture. First Peter chapter 5. We're just going to look at two verses here. We'll start with verse 1. Um, in this whole sort of context of, of shepherding uh, the flock of God. I just, uh, I love the imagery. It's used so much. Peter connects to it so deeply. Uh, in this. So, let's just look at verse 1. So, I, Peter, exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. So, let's just, let's just pause here for a second. We're talking about loving others in that. So, look what Peter's doing. First of all, and he says, I exhort you. He's calling and inviting and imploring the mature Christians, which what the elder means, in the body of Christ to action. So when he's like exhorting you, I'm, I'm calling you to respond and to do something. When we talk about elders, the literal translation of the Greek word just means old. But you've met a lot of old people that never grew up, right? Amen. Don't look at them next to you. I'm just saying, you know, right? You've met a lot of people that are old in years but young in faith. So when you take the word elder from the Greek, which means old, and then you also put it in to these other parts, you're talking about mature believers. So it is possible for a 35-year-old believer to be more mature than an 85-year-old believer. Just because you're old doesn't mean you're mature. because you're young doesn't mean you're immature. It, it, it's all about these things that we find in here. And that's what Peter's dropping in on us, right? He's helping us to see that he's imploring. So when he's like, I exhort, it's a call to action. Then he uses all those, right? The witnessing words, partaker of the glory that's coming. He, you know, Peter's like, man, I'm all in. And I would also encourage you in this as well. Remember that all of those who are mature in the faith were once immature. There's a process of of sanctification and holiness that takes place for all Christians. Just like we as humans do, right? Babies are born, they're small, they're newborns, they can't do anything but cry and wear diapers. and And then as they get older, they begin to mature. And you don't do things the way you used to do as a kid. Then, when you're a teenager and grow into an adult. You you don't do things the way you once did as a teenager. Because you see that there are better more right ways biblically speaking. And, And the spiritual life mirrors that in a lot of ways. You're born again into the faith. You're saved by grace through faith. Through no works of your own. In the name of Jesus Christ. And then you start to grow in that. So he's talking to, to the mature folks, but he's also saying to all of, the, all of us who are Christians, this is what we need to aspire for. These, these are the goals that we need to, to strive to achieve. Now, obviously, you can't become another without salvation. And I love how he talks about the glory that he's going to be a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He's saying, when Jesus comes back, I'm going up, right? He's going to race you to Christ. He's going to get there before anybody else. Now, Peter's that kind of guy that would push you away in the sky to get there first. You just know he is. Because he's like, I'm going and I'm coming, Lord. So he's saying, I am a partaker. He says it much more elegantly than I do, but I'm a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. When Jesus comes back, I'm in that family and I'm going. And I'm going to meet the chief shepherd. And we're going to go up there. And he's calling a challenge. He goes, look, that's the goal. You're witnesses to the sufferings of Christ. Christ. We've talked about for the previous weeks, chapter four is is all about how we deal with suffering and hardship as a Christian. Now he's looking at this and go, always remember, Jesus is coming back. Always remember. It's a tool I use in my house sometimes. So um, my house isn't, uh, it, it echoes. So when you're on the third floor and you can hear the kids on the second floor doing bad things, if I just start stomping hard towards the stairs, it gets real quiet on the second floor. Because they know dad's coming. And I get the kids, dad's coming, dad's coming, dad's coming. Stop beating each other. Here he comes. And they quiet down. And they just know. Man, partakers of Jesus Christ when he returns. We see these sufferings. We know these things we're coming to. But we always remember Jesus coming back. And I want him to to find me faithful as the scripture says. That when he returns I am at the work and the business of Christ. That's how I want him to find me. So he he's just reminding us of those things that are important and and the return of Christ is glorious for those who are Christians for those saved by grace through faith in Jesus and it's extremely joyous but look a heads up to you watching online a heads up to you that are here who are not Christians Your unforgiven sin will separate you from God forever. If you do not respond for the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And are saved by grace. And call on his name as Lord and Savior. And realize that you're full of sin and need Jesus. Then when he comes back. You're going to be separated from him. Forever in hell. And that is terrible. So he's like look. I'm trying to remind you. Here's a purpose for these things. This is why we must shepherd others. So that they might know. To tell them that there's. There's someone who can save them, a a, a lifeguard if you will, from that which would drown them in life. So he's reminding us here that this is where he's in and he gives it up. And here's what I love about this. Why does Peter emphasize so many things he has in common with other Christians? It's fascinating because you would think in this chapter what Peter would do is, you think what he would do is just go, here's why I'm so awesome and so great. You better listen to me, right? Because I said so. And sometimes he can do that in the authority of scripture. But instead he steps in. I love that word. You should, you should really highlight it after at the very beginning. Of the episode, he's like among you. So Peter steps down into the group of people. Here's why he does that. Here's why Peter emphasizes so many things he has in common with other Christians. Because the body of Christ is at its best when its heart, mind, soul, and strength are together in 2020, we lost togetherness. We gave it away. We let them take it away. We just lost it. And now so many of those sheep, imagine a shepherd coming to his his flock of sheep and just tearing down the fences and said, just go. And there are many that, that have not yet to return, that are still out there wandering, that we must find and reach and bring them back in the name of Jesus. So the reason that he does that is because Peter knows that we're better together. So his goal is to go, here's what we have in common. I live in the same world you do first century Christians. I live in the same world you do 21st century Christians as I speak to you. And there is suffering, but we're all going to partake So he's bringing this together. And that's why I love that word among you. One of the questions I always ask at burgers and Bibles or dogs and doctor, depending on what we're cooking, is the question of, as we read these scriptures, what jumped out at you? Like what smashed you in the face when you read this verse? And every time I read this verse, these two verses, that word among you and among us just always stood out to me. I just couldn't get away from it. I've read this, I don't know how many times. But I just love that that togetherness where he's like, "Look, we, oh, I'm am, I'm among you." The mature Christian should be among people, and he goes in and he works and he moves to that. Look at verse two. So now we get into that. He's like, "Look, we're together. We're the body of Christ. We are at our best when it's all working. You guys know what that is, right? I preached too long. Your leg falls asleep. You get up. You got the dead leg happening. You can't walk. You know what it is to have a part of your body not work. But man, when things work together, it's." awesome. And God's like, look, same way. Verse two. So here's the imagery he picks. This is Peter following his calling that Jesus gave him over some fish in a campfire. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. There's that among word, man, c- circle it, that it's among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now God through Peter's, he's giving us insight into the destination of our days and our life. Like when you get up and you journey through time and the seconds and the minutes pass on. What is that that he wants you to land at? And and this is part of that, that. That we would go, look, shepherd the flock of God. Such a good word. Let's just start with, with the among us. We are among each other. We are to stay committed and return to not only in-person worship, but in-person relationships and in community. That we should find a place where, where we can get and worship actually together. To be able to know when the guy next to you has way too much cologne on. To be able to, (laughs) that must be happening. So you'd have a lot of people just around you and and get in in in-person worship. Yes, there is, there's always been that intimacy, right? There's always that time where, where Jesus gets away to lonely and solitary places. And you should have that with God by yourself every single day, at least once. But more than that. But then also, what do you see? Man, Jesus just walking, getting his steps in being around people. He is always among folks. So when you're talking about the shepherding and, and, and the flock and getting among you, that is such a huge piece to be committed to face-to-face relationships and community. He starts talking about exercising oversight, which means to look after people with grace, biblical truth, and, loving, and lovingly. Right, which is which is how a shepherd does it. Yes, the shepherd has the rod to defend, but he's also got the staff with the crook that he he can put around the sheep and it just kind of pulls them in. So he loves them, he cares for them, he watches over them, he's there for them, but he's also sharing the biblical truth: you can't go there. That's not where you should go. Carries them on his shoulders. So when he talks about this, this oversight. He's talking about looking and caring for and exercising that away with grace. To fill the gaps with grace in your relationships. To allow people to know that you are going to love them the way that God loves you and you're going to try and strive to do that more and more and more. Cuz that's perfect love. That's good love. That's just right and holy and true. And it works in in every arena of your life. Whatever role you have, whatever status you maintain or influence, God desires that to exercise this oversight, which is biblical truth and brotherly love. It says not under compulsion, but willingly. This is so important, right? We have to, we have to set our hearts to not um, have to, but get to. It's one of the early phrases I used to use in youth ministry. I know you've told you that, but when it comes for living for the Lord, a heart should be set to not that I have to, but man, I get to. And that's what I get from Peter in verse 1. Not like, oh, I have to be a witness to his sufferings. Oh, I have to partake in his resurrection. No way, man. He is joyous and cheerful. He's like, I get to do this. In fact, Peter, what you see in the gospel, and now where we find him here in 1 Peter, Peter's moved away from incentive-based Christianity. Remember early on in the gospels, the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest in the kingdom? Then James and John shoulder tapped their mom and said, Mom, you go ask Jesus if we can sit next to him in the kingdom. Right? On his right and his left. So they were bickering and arguing. It was all incentive-based Christianity, which is sort of the basic mode and operation when you're a young Christian. What is God going to give me? What can I have from him? I'm only going to participate and read and be a Christian if I get something from it. If it benefits me and then maybe others, okay. Okay. But in this passage of scripture where it says not under compulsion. The compulsion to get. The compulsion of me church. Me Jesus. Me life. But instead I move to a willingness to this passion and purpose filled Christianity. If you wouldn't meet Peter as he walked on the face of the earth. After he was redeemed by Jesus around that campfire. There is nothing you could have done to convince Peter to move away from Jesus. You could not have offered him anything. Or taken anything from Peter. That he would have sold Jesus out ever again. And that's the goal for all of us. Is that true for you? Is there something that that people have to offer for you in order to stay engaged with Jesus? Is it something that if they took away or if it cost you, you'd say, I'm sorry. I'm done with you, Jesus. I mean, all of the disciples except for John the Beloved didn't show up at the crucifixion. He was the only one on Golgotha. The only one. Coincidentally, he's the only one that lived out his days and died a natural death. All the other ones, martyrs' death. It's just fascinating when you think about that heart being set. So when you look at not under compulsion or willingly, you look at guys that are, that are all in. And then it starts talking about um, how God, God would have you, right? I, I really love that passage, as God would have you, that we obey and follow through God's expressed sovereign will. Your created purpose, I can say this out of the shadow of a doubt, is to follow God's sovereign will and plan. That's what he wants for you. Now, he's going to do that creatively and way different than he does it for me. But that's what's so great about God is that he's just like everywhere that you are, every job where you live, all that stuff is for his good purpose so that people will get saved and people become more like Jesus Christ. That's why you're there. So your boss or your CEO, or if you're a boss and a CEO, the crew and the people under you, he desires for you to bring them to Christ so they might be saved. And then after Jesus saves them, that you would help them mature as disciples. To become like Jesus. Man, I love this word eagerly. I feel like the word eagerly is just undersold right here in its translation. But what I like about this, this word eagerly in the Greek language really means brisk cheerfulness. So you take a speed walker and a happy person, merge them together, and you've got brisk cheerfulness. That's what I love about not for shameful gain, but eagerly. So you're tempted to think shameful gain, okay, I just I give you I away. But when you talk about the word eagerly, it means brisk cheerfulness. Which means what? You run to cheerfulness. That you strive in the way that you love others and love Jesus to offer that faithfully to God so that they know God's best in the worst moments and the best moments. And that's why I love that so much because I think it's just such a, a great way to figure this out. Like, how do I shepherd and how do I love the way it is? Um brisk cheerfulness. You know God is quick to love, care, bless, and provide. You can see throughout the Old and New Testament for hundreds and hundreds and of generations of, of people, they would turn from God. But man, how quick does God show up when they come back? Boom, fast. He is right there. He is ready to redeem. He is ready to forgive. He sends Jesus. He sends the Holy Spirit. And he's like, let's get this right. I mean, he's just eager, a brisk, cheerful Lord and Savior who comes to redeem the world. So when it's not for shameful gain, which the opposite of that is for your own, but instead to move in a way that's cheerful. What is one of the only ways we can accomplish what God would have us to do? What's one of the only ways? It's together for his glory, his way with cheerfulness in the name of Jesus Christ. That we would go out with all of this obedience and all of this, right? Shepherd the flock that is among you. You know what that means? You've got to be among people and especially Christians. You've got to be with others so that they might know it and be brisk to be cheerful. So, so based on this message, and here it comes, right? This is the tidal wave that watches over you. If I had batons, I'd be like, bing, 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 and just pass them all out to you. Because here's where you get to respond, hot potato, can't throw it back. Here's how I would say, based on this message, what is something that you can do, we can do, to become more like Jesus. So let's just talk about our gospel-centered worship, right? The gospel is 1 Corinthians um, chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and mine. He was risen on the third day, according to scriptures, by the power of God for the forgiveness of our sins. So when we talk about your worship, here's the first thing I would say in order to do the one thing. To to love the way God loves us. Learn to discern the way of God. How are you going to love the way that God loves? Well, you've got to study your Bible. You've got to study other mature Christians. I was watching this old ancient piece of technology the other night called a DVD. Not even a Blu-ray. It's a DVD, and it was just this old message from, man, way back when, like 2009, and it was just teaching about how these people love others, and how he does that. Great preacher. So I just sat and listened to how we did that. Study other mature Christians, and study what God blesses in your life, right? We say that all the time. When God closes a door, he opens a window. I've always wondered, like, does he want us to jump out the window? What's the deal here? What if it's a two-story house? How do we do that? But I would say this, learn to discern the way of God. There is no way you're going to be able to love like God unless you study the word and study how he works and moves in your life. So I would encourage you and challenge you certainly to do that. When you're out in community with other people, purposely be among other Christians. Purposely be among other Christians. You, you, You have to, have to make time, to take time, to spend time with the family of God. Have to. More and more and more. You've got to strive to do that. There's a million. You can invite them over to your house. Invite them over to wherever. You can invite them over to some other places. You can obviously do things like this and worship with them or Bible studies or Bible discussions. But you purposely need to be among Christians. In both of those verses, one and two, that word among you was there. So Peter's not repeating himself for his own good. He's telling us we should be among other Christians. We should be seeking to to draw strength from them. To not all isolate ourselves from where they are. Which is why we try to encourage as much in-person getting together as we can. To help them to do that. Here's how you can serve in that too. We should have other people in our lives that, that aren't Christians. We certainly should have people in our, in our churches that aren't Christians and Bible studies and neighbors. But here's what I say. Here's a great way to serve. Um, look after and care for others. Remember in, in verse um, two, exercising oversight for others, which means you look after and care for others. You, you live each day as God would have you. That's what I love about that verse two. How, how, do, how, how would God have you do that day? So when you get up and you're doing your devotions in the morning, just ask him, God, what are we going to do today? God, I'm driving to work. God, I'm driving to the grocery store. God, I'm stuck in traffic on the bridge. How do I minister? What do I do? You know, any of these things that you can do to minister, you use those opportunities. Why? Because this is the day God's given you just to use this day right now to minister for him. So live each day as God would have you. And you read scriptures and he'll tell you. You study that, he'll tell you. Tell you guys this all the time. Everything you're going to face, the Bible addresses it. Everything you've ever seen, God has faced it. Jesus has faced it. And remember what the Bible tells us. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, like two weeks in a row. God's never going to give you a test that you can't pass in him. I mean, imagine that. 100% A plus every single time. You won't face anything that God can't bring you through. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy and roses. You're going to be skipping arm in arm. He might be carrying you. Some of you, maybe drag. I don't know. But I'm just saying, God's going to work and move. When we look at, uh, oh, and multiplication. This is so good. This is a great fun part, right? Because you're like how, like, how do I encourage others that I'm around to want to be Christians? I mean, I know so much of this stuff. Be glad you're a part of the family of God. Some of you guys are already singing that song in your head. I'm so glad I'm a part. I know, just a minute, I'd see it, right? I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And we would just sing that. Be glad you're a part. Look, listen to this. This is cool. And everybody, I'll just read this. Your cheerfulness in the midst of faithfulness will draw people towards God's holiness. Do you understand that? So when you're cheerful, and remember, he's talking about Just, we're one chapter away, like three verses away from the sufferings of this world. But your cheerfulness in the midst of faithfulness freaks people out in a good way. They're like, I don't understand you. Life is hard and life is so good. And you're not patting yourself on the back. You're praising the Lord all the way through. And that draws people to God's holiness. And And sometimes they don't even get to know why. They're just like, okay, let's go. So you invite them to worship. You invite them close and it's just... That's that's what cheerfulness does. When joy gets out, it's cheerfulness. Right? So. One thing, one last time. Let's look at the one thing. Listen to the one thing, one last time. Peter, Peter exhorts us. He calls us. And he wants you to do that. Right? You are called to love the way God loves us. You are called to that. And you know. Whatever it is, however you relate to phones, whether it's the rotary phone you still imagine, the grandma had on the wall that you put your finger in and turn. Maybe it's your you know, swipe, ignore. You were called and this calling goes out. Why? Why do you call someone? So that they'll sneak an answer. That's why you call. Man, I've done that to some people. Like they're next to me in the car and I'll call them and they're like, nope. And I'm like, oh, you did it. <laughs> I am sitting right here next to you. I'm like rolling the window down, laying the horn. Hey, you just swipe to ignore me. I'm right here. When you are called to something, God expects an answer. And, and no answer we all know is what? It's still an answer. You can leave people on red all you want. That's still not an answer. So God's calling you and he's imploring you and he's challenging you. Please answer the call to love the way God loves. And it's not always easy, but it is always better. And you'll never regret it when you live the way that God loves you.